God's Holy Word comes to us this evening from Daniel chapter 9. If you would turn there in the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to read uh, for us the first 19 verses, and we'll focus our attention on this, this prayer of Daniel uh, as he prays for the people of, of Judah who are uh, in exile at this point in their history, but there appears to be a, a turning point uh, because their Babylonian captors have themselves uh, been overthrown by their enemies, the Medes and the Persians. And it's at that particular time uh, that Daniel offers this prayer to the Lord. And we, we're going to discover tonight that it's a, a wonderful example, wonderful model uh, for how our prayers should also be offered to the Lord so that He will hear us, so that He will answer us and be pleased with our prayer. Uh, we're going to read the first 19 verses here and then look at uh, one question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism after that. This is God's holy word. Let's listen uh, carefully to it. In the first year of Darius, uh, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words, which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated, entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day we have sinned, 
we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. We're going to end the reading of God's Word there. If you would, please turn in your Trinity Psalter hymnals to the back to page 894. 894. We're going to just um, consider question 117 there, and I'll, I'll read the question and answer if you would like to follow along. 894 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. The question that the, the catechism asks and I hope, I hope you'll notice the uniqueness of this question. The question is, how does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask of Him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and our misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. And third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord, as He has promised us in His Word. Well, the theologian C.S. Lewis once wrote, um, reflecting on the challenge, the difficulty that we as Christians sometimes have with prayer. He said this, prayer is irksome, that is, it's inconvenient, it's bothersome. An excuse to omit it, not do it, is never unwelcome. When prayer is over, this casts a feeling of relief and holiday over the rest of the day. We are reluctant to begin, we're delighted to finish. While we're at prayer, any small thing is enough to distract us, but not while we're reading a novel or solving a crossword puzzle or if we were talking about today, uh, watching a movie or browsing social media. What is C.S. Lewis saying? Well, he's not suggesting that prayer is in and of itself a bothersome thing. What he's saying is that as Christians, sometimes we pray begrudgingly. We pray out of a sense of duty because we know we ought to do it, but so often we do it without much spirit, without much joy. And that's why I read question and answer 117 from the Heidelberg Catechism, because our catechism exposes that problem, how little we regard prayer, how little regard we have for it sometimes 
in our lives. And the question that's asked here should sort of uh, make us stop and think. Because the question asks, how does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? We tend to think that any prayer that we offer to God is better than no prayer at all. And if it comes from the heart, and it's five minutes or more, well, then it must be acceptable. Is God really concerned about how we pray? Has God really prescribed how we ought to come to Him in prayer? That's the question. That's the answer that we want to think about together this evening. And in fact, Scripture, um, as God's holy Word, His instruction for our lives, has given us some, some models for how to pray in a way that God accepts. And Daniel's intercessory prayer here in chapter 9, as he prays for himself and for the people of Judah, is a wonderful model of, of the kind of prayer that has the proper elements of prayer that are, that are pleasing to God. And so, we're going to look at this uh, passage together this evening, and we're going to notice a couple things about our prayer and how we ought to pray. First, that prayer is to be grounded, rooted in God's promises. Our prayer is to be rooted in the Word of God. We're going to notice also that that our prayer is to be offered in repentance, in humility, and in dependence upon Jesus Christ. The first thing I want us to notice about Daniel's prayer this evening is the occasion for his prayer. What was it going on in his life, in the life of the people of Israel, that prompted his prayer? What was the context? What was the occasion for his prayer? We read here in verse 1 that Daniel's prayer is offered to God in the first year of the reign of King Darius. Darius was the king of the Medes and the Persians. And something great had just taken place around the first year of Darius's reign. The Medes and the Persians had come in, and they had overthrown the Babylonians. Now, you remember the Babylonians had captured the people of Judah. They had taken them into captivity. But God had promised that that, that captivity would only last so long, and then He would actually judge the people who He appointed to judge His people for their sins. Remember, boys and girls, in Daniel 5, this very interesting account where one of the Babylonian kings, Belshazzar, he's having a grand old party with his friends and officials. They're drinking lots of wine and they're carrying on, and all of a sudden they see this mysterious finger, this mysterious hand writing on the plaster of the wall, and the prophecy is that the, that the great nation of Babylon will be overthrown. Well, here we are now in the first reign of King Darius. He has overthrown the Babylonians, and Daniel is prompted to go back and check the books. He's prompted to go back into the archives, into the records, and to read about God's promise of the 70 years following the desolation of Jerusalem, he would have gone back to Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29 where he read that after 70 years, the captors would be placed in captivity. And that's where he finds himself. 
And the end of Babylon signified something very exciting. It signified the renewal of God's people, the possibility of them going back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem, and rebuilding the place where God's worship was enjoyed and offered. And it's in this context, with God's promises coming to fulfillment, coming to fruition in the life of Daniel and and his his, uh, fellow Judeans, that he comes to the Lord in prayer. And he puts on sackcloth and ashes, he fasts, and he prays desperately for the restoration of God's people, that God would reinstate them and forgive them and wash them. And what, I, what we need to notice here is that Daniel was stimulated to pray, not because of how he felt, but because of what he knew, because of what he knew. He knew from the books From the mouth of God's prophet, he knew from God's word about the promise of deliverance, and now he was seeing that deliverance come about. And so in prayer, he embraces God's promises. He comes with anticipation, and he asks for what God has already promised to do for the people. It's important for us to notice before we look at the content of our prayer is to realize that that occasion for prayer is really our occasion for prayer. We come to God in prayer not simply because of how we feel, but we come to God in prayer because of what we know, because of the truths, because of the verities, the unchanging truths of His Word and the the promises of God's Word that will certainly come to fulfillment. We come to prayer because we know that God has already rescued us from sin and death. We know based on the promises of His Word that He will vindicate us one day before a wicked and watching world. We know that He's secured an eternal hope, a heavenly land for us, and it's those things that we know through God's Word that stimulate us to go to Him in prayer. The fact that God is simply true to Himself and true to His Word is enough to put us on our knees in prayer. And so whatever the occasion, even when we are reeling and stumbling from the trials and the fears and the anxieties of this life, it is God's grace, it is God's promise that goes ahead of us in prayer. He meets us. He goes ahead of us with His goodness. And so there is nothing better for us to do when we go to God in prayer than to simply ask for what He has already promised and what He is already beginning to provide for us. But what about the content of our prayer? We notice as we look a little bit more closely at at Daniel's prayer here that everything he prays about is rooted in the covenant faithfulness of God. And in many ways, the way that Daniel prays is reflected in uh, question and answer 117 in Heidelberg. We'll notice that together. The first thing the catechism says is this, to the question, how does God want us to pray so that He'll hear us? The first thing it says is that we should pray from the heart. We should pray to the one true God as He has revealed Himself in His Word, and we ask as He has commanded us. And we see that that's exactly how Daniel begins in his prayer. This is how he begins in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps covenant, steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We find the covenant name of God, LORD in all caps, in the Hebrew, Yahweh. That's the name, the special covenant name of God that God revealed to the people of Israel. That's the name that Daniel takes on his lips when he addresses God in prayer. We don't find that name anywhere else in Daniel. Here, Daniel is addressing God in this intimate, special covenant way. He's acknowledging that God is great, He is awesome, that He he keeps covenant with His people. His steadfast love never ends towards those who love Him and keep His commandments. He comes with an approach of humility. He trembles before God in his heart as he prepares to confess the people's sins. And that is a wonderful example of how we are to approach our God in prayer because we will never give him the honor that he deserves unless we come to him, if not actually on our knees or on our face. But we will never attribute the right amount of honor to God unless we come to him with at least our hearts humble before Him. We are to come before God not carelessly, but carefully, not with mere outward observance, but to come from the heart, come declaring that He is great and awesome, that He is that faithful covenant God who has revealed Himself in His Word. We will never have an audience with God unless we are truly humbled in His presence when we consider who He is and all that He has done for us. And so that's the first lesson from Daniel's prayer. We must come acknowledging all that God is and all that He has done. We must humble ourselves before Him. The catechism goes on and says that we should acknowledge our sin and misery, hiding nothing, humbling ourselves in His majestic presence. And that is the bulk of Daniel's prayer. Verses 5 through 14, Daniel goes into detail. He hides nothing. He unpacks the sins of the people of Israel. He says in verses 6 and 10 and 11 that the root of the people's problem, the root of their sin, is that they haven't listened to the Word of God. Uh, They haven't listened to the prophets that spoke to their forefathers. God's Word has come to them as a light to their path to direct their way, and they have snuffed it out and decided to go their own way instead. In verse 6, Daniel says, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and fathers, and to all the people. In verses 10, We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His ways. Again, verse 11, We refuse to obey your voice. Daniel acknowledges that the root of all the sins of the people of Israel is that they have rejected God's servants who spoke the very Word of God to them. And death and destruction and exile has been the result. And as a result of not listening to the Word of God, Daniel acknowledges we're all guilty. We're guilty before the face of God. He says in verse 8 here, Lord, to us belongs open shame. We're the laughingstock of everyone around us. To us belongs open shame, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we've sinned against you. 
If Israel thought they could hide behind their privileged position as the covenant people of God, they are sorely mistaken. They have no reason to boast. Their shame is an open shame. Their guilt is there for all to see. And more than that, God has been righteous. He has been right to judge His people's sin. That is what Daniel acknowledges in verses 11 through 14. He says, all Israel has turned against your law. We have refused to obey your voice. And as a result, the promise that God made to the people of Israel through Moses has come true. God had said through Moses in Leviticus 26 that if if they obeyed, there would be covenant blessings for the people. If they disobeyed, if they failed to listen to God's voice, there would be curses that would fall upon the people. And that is what Daniel acknowledges. God is righteous, and He's confirmed His justice. He has ratified His words of covenant blessing and curse by bringing calamity upon the people of Judah on account of their sin. In verse 12, he acknowledges that even the heavens themselves are there to indict them as a witness because of their sin. To us belong open shame. The Heidelberg Catechism picks up on the importance of properly confessing our sins to God in this way, confessing the specific sin, acknowledging guilt, acknowledging that God is righteous in judging us for our sin. When it says this, we must rightly know our sin and our misery in order to humble ourselves before the face of God's majesty. This is essential for us to understand, brothers and sisters, that when we come to God in prayer to confess our sin and our misery, we come with a right understanding of it. I think something we struggle with as believers is that when we confess our sins, we are far too vague. We don't spend enough time thinking about the specific ways that we have failed to listen to God's voice. We're far too vague. In fact, oftentimes uh, we don't think about confessing our sins until the very end of our prayer, and then we sort of tack it on at the end, almost as an afterthought. And forgive us our sins for Jesus' sake, amen. Let's eat. We don't think about the specific ways that we have drugged God's holy name through the mud of our iniquity. Daniel's prayer, God's Word, the catechism, they call us to be specific in confessing our sin in misery, not offering excuses for our sin, not offering confession merely as a a hypocritical demonstration, but offering confession with these sorts of questions in mind. Have I humbled myself properly before God's face? Do I feel pain when I am struck by my own sin and unworthiness? Do I acknowledge that not everything is right, not just in the world, not just in the church, but not everything is right in me, and I need a Savior? But yet here in the midst of confession, there is a ray of hope, a ray of forgiveness. Verse 9, to us, he says in verse 8, belongs shame because of our sin. 
But verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. How important that in the midst of our confession, we also acknowledge that God is merciful, that He's a God of forgiveness. It's easy for us, perhaps, to get discouraged, to become frightened and overwhelmed when we confess our sins. We wonder, could God possibly forgive somebody like me? So great is my sin. Daniel's prayer prescribes a rule for us that in confessing the people's sin and wickedness, he doesn't throw away the hope of forgiveness. He supports himself. He supports uh, the rest of Israel with this comfort that God is merciful. And that's where we rest our hope of forgiveness as well. In the very nature of God, that He is merciful, that He is forgiving, we must never contemplate our sin. Though we should contemplate it with detail, we must never contemplate it apart from the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Finally, Daniel's, in Daniel's prayer, he pleads for mercy. He pleads for forgiveness in verses 15 through 17. But we want, I want you to notice one thing. His prayer for mercy and forgiveness is based on a concern for God. God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. There's sort of a transition here in Daniel's prayer. He says, and now, O Lord our God, after, after laying out in gross detail all the ways Israel has sinned, he goes on and says, O now, Lord, you who brought us out of Egypt, we have done wicked, wick, wickedness. O Lord, verse 16, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away because of our sin. Verse 17, O Lord our God, listen to our prayer and our pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Incline your ear. Open your eyes, he says. Hear us. Forgive us. Pay attention to our need for the washing of sins. But do it for you. Do it for your own sake, he says. His appeal is not first for the vindication of the people, but for the vindication of God's own name. Because the captivity of Judah, God allowing His people to go into captivity, into the land of a wicked nation, would have been seen by the nations as an indication that God was either powerless or a total delusion. Rescue us, O God, Daniel says, but do it for your name, for your glory among the nations. I think of what Moses said uh, in uh, Exodus 32. God looked down and He saw the people making a golden calf. He said, I'm going to destroy them because of their sin, their idolatry. And Moses says, Lord, these people are called by your name. Don't destroy them. That is Daniel's prayer as well. Open your eyes, Lord. Rescue us. Forgive us. Don't delay, but do it for your sake. Oftentimes when we ask for forgiveness, it's for purely selfish reasons. We don't like the feeling of guilt. We don't like the feeling of not being right with God. 
We don't like the thought that others around, around us might think that we are not in good standing with God or with one another. But that should not be our first concern as we pray for the forgiveness of our sins. It should be so that God's name, God's glory, His greatness, which has been dishonored because of our sin, that His name and the honor of His name would be vindicated and restored before a watching world. That should be the concern of our repentance and our asking for forgiveness. Finally, very briefly, we rest on this unshakable foundation, the catechism says, when we're, in, when we're in prayer, that even though we don't deserve it, God will certainly listen to our prayers because of Christ our Lord, as He has promised in His Word. On what basis, on what foundation can we come before God and be heard by Him? Certainly, our prayer should follow the model set here by Daniel in this prayer and explained here in the catechism. It should have the right elements, the right content, the right structure. But there's much more that's needed. We need help in prayer. And that is the help that is provided by Jesus Christ. Even Daniel here in verse 18 says, O God, incline your ear, open your eyes, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel acknowledges that he is going to be heard by God not because of how well he prayed, not because he had the equation right, because he had all the elements present in his prayer in the right order. That's not fundamentally the reason why he was heard, but he was heard because of God's mercy. And that is how we are heard. We are heard, the catechism says, for the sake of Christ. God will hear our prayer as He's promised in His Word. Christ Himself is the perfect intercessor. He's our go-between, our mediator to bring us to God in prayer. Christ our Lord is the true and better Daniel. Daniel was a type of Christ in that he came as an intercessor, a mediator on behalf of God's people to bring their needs before God. But Daniel was unlike Christ in a very important way. Daniel needed to pray for his own problems, his own sins. He needed to intercede for himself as well. Christ only needs to intercede for us because he's perfect. He has no need to confess any sins, but He intercedes for us in accordance with His perfect righteousness. The Old Testament priests, they had to bring intercession of prayer and and sacrifices before God on behalf of the people every single day, but they also had to offer sacrifices for themselves. But Jesus is unlike them. He is the true and better high priest. Hebrews 7 tells us that Christ, the holy, the innocent, the unstained high priest, had no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself on Calvary's cross. Christ is the one and only helper, the one and only mediator that we have in prayer. And by His help, by His intercession, the Father is gracious to you. 
and He easily hears your prayers. And it's that reality, friends, that that we have a helper, a perfect helper in prayer. That's what drives us to pray, knowing that He Himself takes our prayers and our petitions, and He carries them perfectly to the Father so that they are acceptable to Him. We can come with comfort and joy to God's throne of grace in prayer, but we can come with boldness. We can come with confidence as well. We may not think that we can. We might think that because of our sin and our unworthiness, we can't come before God's throne of grace with boldness and confidence to have our prayers answered. But with Christ as our helper, the throne of dreadful glory is transformed into the throne of grace. It's true. God cannot listen to our prayers. He cannot accept our prayers without Christ's intercession on our behalf. None of our prayers can be acceptable or pleasing to Him unless Christ has sanctified our prayers. And that's why we must, each and every one of us, wash our prayers in the blood of Jesus Christ and trust Christ by faith as our mediator and our advocate before God. Through Him, we can approach God intimately as our heavenly Father, like a child who comes and sits on his father's knee and whispers into his ear all of his concerns and needs. We can come to our heavenly Father and have His audience when we come through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for the sake of Jesus, God treats you as His son and daughter? Do you depend upon Him for everything that you need? Then in prayer, make that confession. Pray in a way that pleases Him. Pray in a biblical way. Pray confessing your total dependence upon Him for all things necessary for body and soul. Don't come to Him carelessly in prayer. Don't come to Him in prayer merely out of duty or formality or obligation. But come with joy. Come with expectation, anticipation. Come with adoration exalting Him as the great and almighty God of heaven and earth. Come with confession, acknowledging the specific ways that you have fallen short of His glory. Come asking and expecting mercy and forgiveness for the sake of Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness so that His name might be glorified among all the nations of the world. But even if you come following that biblical model, you must come and pray by the mouth of Jesus Christ because it is He who gives you entrance into God's holy presence. It is Jesus who secures an audience with God. It is He who by His Holy Spirit takes your feeble words and makes them acceptable, pleasing to your heavenly Father. Come and pray with the mouth of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we are thankful for this immense privilege that we enjoy as Christians, that we come to You not in fear, 
not in fear of condemnation, but we come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, and we come with His help. Lord, we're thankful for this wonderful prayer here included in Daniel 9, which helps us understand what kind of prayer is pleasing to you, what kind of prayer you will accept from us, prayer that acknowledges who you are as the covenant-keeping God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, true to your nature. Helps us to see that if we are to properly humble ourselves, we must confess in detail, omitting nothing of the ways that we have sinned against you. For only when we have acknowledged our sin in detail can we know the joy of full and free forgiveness of all of those sins. And then, Lord, only then can we know the joy of belonging to you, of experiencing intimate fellowship with you through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his help that we come through Him, that we are pleasing to You, O God, through Him. Lord, may godly prayer be of the essence of our lives as we express our dependence, our total reliance on You for all things necessary for body and soul in this veil of tears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.